This morning's reading is of Psalm 85. This was written by one of the sons of Korah, who were temple musicians. It starts by gratefully remembering God's mercy, then pleads for restoration or revival of how things were, and finally focuses on God's character. You can find it on page 595 of the Pew Bible. Psalm 85. You, Lord showed favour to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Saviour, and put away your displeasures towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together, Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord indeed give the Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is the word of the Lord. morning. Let's pray together. Our loving God, we thank you that you've given us your word, the Bible. We thank you that you have spoken to us. And now we pray that we will hear you speak as we contemplate on these words we've just had read to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a church, we during this summer period, have been looking at some psalms. And today we have Psalm 85, which would be good if you keep that passage open, if you've got it there in your Bible, under the title of Longing for Restoration. And uh, Steve has given us a, a good little overview of what the psalm is all about there, so we know where we're going already. One of my favorite hymns was written by William Cowper, or Cooper, some people call him, who lived from 1731 to 1800, a little bit before Matt Redman, Stuart Townend, and Tim Hughes, but uh, he was still pretty good. And it comes from a poem called Walking with God, and in it he expresses his desire to have a closer relationship with God, showing his concern when that relationship is not right. He says, oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. And in the second verse, he says, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. 
Return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. This hymn could also be titled Longing for Restoration, like Psalm 85. I, I read a, a bit about William Cooper and um, I found he was a bit of a depressive and he often struggled feeling he needed to be closer to God. And it goes without saying that due to our human frailty, we'll never be able to have a perfect relationship with God this side of heaven. But we also need to be wary of spending all of our time beating ourselves up, consequently missing out on the wonderful relationship that we can have. And when we come to this psalm, I would suggest that the key words that are before us today are these. Restore us again and revive us again. Restore us again, revive us again. So we're going to look at a bit of background to find out why this, um, what this psalm is all about, why this request is being made. Then we'll think about how the writer approaches this issue by recognising the present, remembering the past and resting in the future. So what do we know about this psalm? It's one of 11 psalms attributed to the sons of Korah. And uh, as Steve has already said, they were part of the, the temple worship. It always happens to me when I preach. This always happens to me. Stop it. <laughs> and uh, I guess the sons of Korah are a bit like our music group, really. You know, they, they led the worship in the, in the temple. And... Um, most scholars believe that this psalm was written just after Israel returned from captivity in Babylon. Um, they'd been sent there really um, for 70 years as a result of their failings before God. They, they hadn't lived the sort of life that God wanted, wanted them to live and, and therefore they had been captured and taken away from their land. They were in exile. use this one instead. I'll leave that there and hope it doesn't do it again. Okay, um, so I hope you haven't lost where we were. Uh, thinking, <laughs> thinking about the, the Psalm 85, thinking about how those um, people had been sent into exile. They'd returned from exile after being there for 70 years and things were getting better. But They'd been restored to the land, but actually there were still failings. Their hearts weren't still where they should be, where they needed to be. They weren't spiritually right. Hence that call to restore us again, revive us again. And I say we're going to look under three headings. 
and go to verses 4 to 7 first rather than to verses 1 to 3. I like to do things differently, not in order, um, which isn't true actually because my family say that I've got a bit of OCD, but I'm going to be different today. We're going to start in verses 4 to 7. And under the heading, Recognising the Present. And I wonder where we are at the present time with our relationship with God. I wonder if we're in a good place. I wonder if perhaps we're in a place where we thought, well, actually, I've had better times in my relationship with God. Say, well, it's not bad, you know, it's pretty good. I don't know where you are this morning. It may be that here this morning you're wishing that you could return to a time where your relationship with the Lord was much closer, much sweeter, much stronger. Maybe you're saying like the hymn writer, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? It's easy to drift away from the Lord, isn't it? I don't know if you saw the story this week in the news. There was a guy who was in one of those little toy dinghies he was probably just lying there, sunning himself, and uh, he drifted out to sea. Probably hadn't realized what was happening, and suddenly he realized he was in trouble and he had to be rescued. He just slowly drifted. It reminded me of a verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, that says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And sometimes as Christian believers, it's easy to drift away. We don't even realize we're drifting away from the Lord. It's so subtle. We have to be careful. Restore us again, revive us again, indicates that there was a time when things were better. A time when there was life. For us, it's probably when that fullness of life that Jesus spoke about in John 10, 10 was, was so evident. For the Israelites, it was a time when they were living close to God, following his commands, walking in his will, glorifying him in the nations around them. Remember, recently we looked at John 15 about the vine. And that reminded us of the necessity of being joined to the vine, the, the power source, which is Jesus, of that relationship with Christ, which had to be maintained at all times because, as we've said, he is our life source. And without him, we're nothing. So the psalmist knows that a time of refreshing is needed, a time of restoration to the former relationship. And he recognizes that as a nation they have displeased God, that they have made him angry, that they have caused him pain. How important it is to know and understand the one who is our Lord and Savior. To be aware of his character. You see, this God of ours, this wonderful God, he does not delight in our sin. He doesn't delight in our weakness or our failures. He doesn't sit in judgment saying, I knew you would fail. His concern is always that we might respond to his love by confessing our sin and returning into his ever-welcoming arms through his unfailing love. That we might once again be able to rejoice in him. 
So we need to recognize where we are at the moment, where we are with God. What is our position? And I think that's what the psalmist was doing in verses four to seven. And then he moves on in verses one to three. Well, he doesn't move on. He, he sort of moves back, really. Um, but verses one to three, remembering the past. We can't live in the past, we're told, aren't we? Sometimes we wish we could, but, you know, we can't. But sometimes it's helpful to look back and remember what has gone before, especially if it shows us something that, that we have lost and, and something we hope to be able to regain. The psalmist begins his prayer by looking back to what God has done for them in the past, reliving the blessings and mercy that God has showered down upon them. A couple of centuries ago now, there was a great preacher called Charles Spurgeon. And he said about this verse, he says, Many a time had foes been baffled, pestilence stayed, famine averted, and deliverance vouchsafed because of the Lord's favor. Good old-fashioned words there, aren't there? Some of them we might think, what on earth does that mean? But basically what he's saying is there was a time where we can look back and see how God has been there for us, how good God has been to us. And this is a strong argument, remembering the past, for believing that God will be with us when we turn back to him, knowing that he has done it before, and promises to do the same again. And it was this meditation that brought him to the point of realizing that it was possible to rediscover the joy of this wonderful relationship if God was to restore and revive them. He remembers in verse one their captivity. He remembers the time of exile and God's deliverance how God brought them back from captivity and restored their fortunes in their own land. And surely this is a picture of, of, how, a picture of how God rescued us from the place of captivity, where we were held by the chains of sin. Yet when we turned to Christ in true repentance and faith, our chains fell off and we were free. And you might think, why would we go back to that, to the times before we were free? So he remembers their captivity. And in verses one to three as well, he remembers their cleansing and conversion. He remembers how God had forgiven them all of their sins and how he'd covered them or, or hidden them so they would no longer be seen. Their past was done away with. It was dealt with. And that's exactly what happens when we become a Christian. We realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he bore our sins in his own body. He paid the debt that we owed. He satisfied the anger of God against sin. And the result is that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin because it has been covered by Jesus' blood. It has been dealt with and done away with forever. We sung in the hymn just now about being clothed in his, Jesus' 
righteousness divine, faultless to stand before the throne. But actually, even before we get to stand before the throne in heaven, God already sees us clothed in Jesus' righteousness alone. God looks at us and he doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as one whose sins have been covered, whose sins have been dealt with. What amazing grace. Sadly, that doesn't mean that we're sinless, as we all know so well. But it does mean that we have a new relationship with God. And that relationship with God that can never be broken completely. We can damage that relationship through our sinful and self, selfish actions. We, we can no longer have the close communion with God that we should. But it can never be broken. And it's from that point that we need to cry out, restore us again, revive us again, if we're in that place. But the second part of the psalm, verses 8 to 13, the psalmist is resting in the future. The first seven verses are in the form of a prayer, pleading for God's mercy and refreshing to come. Whereas verses 8 to 13 is God's answer to that prayer. We're not sure who gave that answer, how it, how it was given, but it's God's answer. And verse 8 talks about listening to God, how important it is to listen to what God says. It's easy, isn't it, to listen and not hear. I'm very good at that. If someone gives me directions to go somewhere, I'm very good at listening but not hearing. And so I'll get somewhere along the journey and I'll think, ah, now what comes next? <laughs> and um, then in big trouble. And we're often like that, aren't we? When someone gives us instructions, tells us how to do something, we listen a bit or, or we just, we're thinking about something else while they're talking. And if we find it, leads us into difficulties and trouble. So it's important for us to listen to what God says in verse 8. It's no good praying for God's help if we don't listen to the answer. We might say, well, how does that answer come? How does God answer my prayer? How do I know if he's speaking to me? Sometimes it's through teaching from the Bible, as we're doing now. Sometimes it's from your own meditation on God's word as the Holy Spirit brings things to your attention. Sometimes it might be from a wise or discerning Christian friend or leader. Sometimes it's through that still, small voice that comes into our mind that just won't give us peace until we deal with it. God has different ways of speaking to us. But as the psalmist is talking here about resting in the future. And there's some beautiful pictures of God's character in these verses. As we're led to meditate on his promises of peace, his salvation which is near those who fear him, his love and faithfulness that meet together. And I love this bit about his righteousness, his righteousness and peace, that kiss 
or embrace each other. And then there's his goodness, and so we could go on. And this is a great reassurance to the believer, the one who is seeking restoration and revival from God, knowing that God has never changed and never will change. Those qualities and characteristics that we see in God, those qualities and characteristics that our faith is based on and anchored in are our assurance for the future. They will not change. God is always loving, faithful, and true. We can see it in so many ways as as God forgives us and sets us free from sin's guilt and shame. And how he, like the loving father in the story of the prodigal son, is always there ready with arms open, ready to welcome us back. How he understands our frailties and loves us just the same. He gives us peace in our hearts and credits us with his righteousness, his goodness. This psalm started with a reminder that in the past God showed favour to his land and to his people. Now in conclusion, we learn that the Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will our land will yield its harvest. Is it worth seeking that restoration and revival from God if we're struggling, if we're going through difficult times in our relationship with him? Well, I know that my life is so much better when I am in communion with God. Just as our human relationships are better when we say sorry, when we make up, when we put our differences behind us. So it's also true of our spiritual relationship with our God and Saviour. So finally then, and to conclude our thoughts on this psalm, we've thought along the way of how this psalm can relate to us. And our prayer every day could be, restore us again, revive us again, couldn't it? Because we constantly need and long to see God move in a miraculous way in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our nation, in our world. And revival comes in so many ways. There is no secret formula. If you read the history of the great revivals in the past, there is no secret way, no secret formula. They all started in very different ways, sometimes quite amazing ways, quite unexpected ways. It's often said, though, that revival starts with us, the individual. It starts in our own hearts. If there's going to be revival in our church, if there's going to be times of refreshing in our church here, It starts with us individually. We're we're not going to see anything happen unless we're each one renewed. But what does it involve? There are a number of hints that I'd like to leave with you as we finish. Clearly, revival and restoration involve keeping the channels open between us and God, confessing our sins and not allowing them to develop. Keeping a short account, people have said. 
Secondly, having a devoted prayer life. We need that communion with God. Developing a close relationship with God through Christ, as John 15 says about remaining in him. Being close, linked to the life source. Being part of a loving community where Christ is central and love is our driving force. And how we're going to need that so much in the coming months when things are going to change, when some of the people that have been so good to us here and, and such a help to us here are no longer with us. We're going to need the strength. We're going to need the unity. We're going to need the love to bind us together. And staying close to the truth of God's word with no compromise. We live in a world where compromise is all around us. But as God's people, we must stick firm to his word. So may God, in his mercy, restore us again. May he revive us again as we come to him and seek to follow him. Amen.